Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Shuns. I love the nothing personal word of the day. I always get to think about words that are fun to use in the sentences. He shunned me. She shunned me. They shun. Guess who shunned what? Yes, we talked a little bit yesterday about Phil Mickelson not shunning all of the money being given out by the Saudi Arabian government to have golf players and really some of the best in the world go to Saudi Arabia and play golf. But just yesterday, Tiger Woods shunned $3 million. Now, why would Tiger Woods shun $3 million, but not be upset at all that Phil Mickelson took the money instead of playing in the Waste Management Phoenix Open? Why is Tiger Woods making that decision? Is it because he has a vehement disagreement with the government of Saudi Arabia? Is he angry that they kill journalists and suppress free speech? No, not so much. I have a better idea. I think Tiger Woods said to himself, I've got bigger fish to fry than upsetting anybody here in the United States because I'm still trying as hard as I can to get back some of the corporate sponsorship money that I lost by driving into a tree or falling asleep at the wheel and having a golf club thrown through the back of my car that maybe, just maybe, I'll have people forget my predilection to Denny's if I don't remind them that I'm going to Saudi Arabia to get $3 million. Tiger, I think you made the right decision, but I think you should have just come out and said why you did it that way. And I like the fact that you're letting Phil be Phil because Phil should be Phil, just like Dustin should be Dustin and Brooks should be Brooks. Everybody can be who he or she wants to be, but let's all tell each other why we're doing the things we do. Tiger Woods passes on $3 million. not just a pass, Tiger. You fully shunned it. We had a lot of news today in baseball. I love baseball. There's so much to cover. And I like when the offseason gets a little more exciting and we're not waiting and waiting because I get to talk about some of these moves that are made by teams. And it's not people misunderstand me. I'm not negative nilly. I'm not always trying to cast this big black shadow over these teams for making these decisions. I was with a team for 18 years. I made these bad decisions. I lived with them. I know what it's like to be so excited when you get a player to agree. When you rationalize with yourself, sure, I can go the extra year. What's another million dollars per year? I've been there, and then I've been across this aisle on the other side when the player can no longer perform, and you're looking at your GM wondering, can I fire him even though I'm the one who approved this contract? Did we get anything out of this contract? Do I even remember how I felt when we signed this contract and I got to do a press conference and I got people doing sketches of how we looked at the press conference, smiling, shaking hands, holding the jersey. If you're not watching it and you're just listening, which I appreciate, anytime you download, subscribe, make sure you rate because that helps. So I'm told five stars. You could watch some videos on Twitter too. But in any case, I'm holding a jersey. I'm pretending to 
That's what you do with these press conferences. Everyone you see, the player puts on the jersey, but before he does, you get this great photo op. Those are the best of times. Not because Sticks told me, that's S-T-Y-X, but because they really are the best of times when you sign a player. So all of you people in Philly, and we got a few of them here in the office at CBS Sports HQ, and they're excited their little tails are wagging. They're doing the Snoopy dance because they got Zach Wheeler. <laughs> We're going to win more than 81 games. Yes. 118 million. And you know what they all say? What do I care? It's not my money. Well, what if they actually increase your ticket prices? Nah, what do you care? You don't go to games. You live in Florida. What if it increases the cost of watching them a la carte? on extra innings or on your cable package. Ah, it's a couple shillings. It's a shekel here. It's a dollar there. No big deal. Okay, let me try this one for all you Philly fans walking around. What if the signing of Zach Wheeler three years from now, and you're still paying him $23.6 million, you haven't gotten a ring or been back to the playoffs since the Girardi-Wheeler-Harper era began? Except now you're stuck with him. How do you all feel about Jake Arrieta? I wish I'd been here when Jake Arrieta signed. I may have been. Because those same Philly fans were all saying how brilliant it was. They waited him out. They only had to give him $25 million a year for three years. I love my Phillies team. I love that my owners spend stupid money. I love Philadelphia. I'm Rocky. How good has Arrieta been? You happy? You happy? Well, $23.6 million tells me you're going to like Wheeler this year, but you're not going to really like him for what you want him to be. You're going to have to learn to like him for what he is. What he is is a very nice number three or four starter that goes behind aces. The Mets rotation was good because they had DeGrom, they had Syndergaard, and then they would get to Wheeler. Was that good enough? Hold on, I'm trying to remember, Mets fans. We're going to talk about you guys, but... No, that's right. You didn't get a ring. How about the Nationals rotation? Do you like lining up with that? Yeah, you're saying they're going to lose Strasburg. Thank God. But who's competing with Scherzer? Who's your opening day starter? You going Nola? Velasquez? Oh, Wheeler. Congratulations to the fans of not just the Phillies, but of baseball, because we're getting moves, and moves are positive. But what I want everyone to remember is how you feel this moment don't forget it, because then during the season when you're angry and frustrated, or years from now when you're despondent beyond repair, you'll look back and at least you will have had December 4th. The Mets made a move today. Everyone ready for that? No? You didn't see it? Ah, it was a little note that I read on a great site called The Athletic. I believe it was my friend Ken Rosenthal. I don't like to throw the word friend around. It's not like we socialize. I would more just like say business acquaintances. We respond to each other's texts, but it's not like we've had dinner together or seen a movie. So I would say a person I know, Ken Rosenthal, reported that the New York Mets, and I want to make sure I get it right, are looking to shed, quote unquote, their bad payroll. I was stuck in my tracks when I read that, which isn't hard for me because some people think I walk in mud to begin with. But the truth is, I was wondering, why is that newsworthy? 
Why does it matter that the New York Mets are trying to shed bad payroll? Well, the answer is because of the excitement that all of the Mets fans felt last offseason, that same excitement that the Phillies fans felt and that you're feeling again. Do you remember signing Familia to a three-year deal? You were happy to bring him back. What a bullpen we will have with Familia, with Diaz, Lugo. This is going to be unstoppable. Well, as it turns out, the Familia contract was a nightmare. Diaz couldn't perform, couldn't get anyone out. They would have traded him for a bag of balls and a Coca-Samson tandem package. But even that wasn't offered. So now the Mets are out there doing what all teams do who have bad contracts. I'm the king of bad contracts during my 18 years. We were out there every year trying to trade bad contracts. And here's what you get when you trade a bad contract. Two things. One, you either have to pay all the money. So if you want to get rid of Familia, and he's got $20 million left over two years, you've got to give $18 million to another team in order to get back a minor league player. Is that shedding bad payroll? It may be off your major league team, but if you're an owner of a team, that's not shedding payroll. If you're paying players not to play for you or players you've released, that's not a shed. So now the question is, can they shed Familia? Meaning, can they find a team to take him at his market level, which is $20 million left over two years? There's a concept that we used to talk about on Wall Street, actually, and uh, it, it works in baseball, too. It's called mark-to-market. What players on your team are mark-to-market and what players are below market or above market? So what you do is you take a player on your team, let's say a player like Pete Alonso. Let's just stick with our Mets. Pete Alonso is under market. You're only paying him $600,000, but if you marked him to market as a free agent, getting a one-year deal, pretending every free agent gets one-year deals, he'd probably get this season, 25 to $28 million. So he is under market. Let's look at Familia. He's getting paid $10 million, and if he were signing today, he'd probably get a million dollars. He's not marked to market either. He's over market, which means if you're going to trade him and you want someone to pay him that $10 million, you're going to have to take back one of their bad contracts. So it's not that you're shedding payroll, it's you're changing out crappy payroll. Why does that matter? Because as a president of a team, you always think that someone else's crap will be better than yours. So you're willing to trade away someone who you know can't perform for you for another player who didn't perform, but you think there's a chance that he could perform the following season for you. But yet that's not shedding bad payroll either. So I can't imagine for the life of me what the Mets mean that they are trying to shed their bad payroll. Well, I know what it means. I can't imagine for the life of me how they're going to be able to do it. No one is able to shed bad payroll. You can reallocate it, but that's not shedding. And you may think this is an anti-Met rant, but it's not. I want the listeners, I want you all to understand the risks that exist in these long-term deals. In this Zach Wheeler deal just announced $118 million over five. Do you know what the risk is in the Cole Hamels deal that was signed today? $18 million over one year by the Braves? Zero. 
Cole Hamels could not play an inning. They lose $18 million and it stinks. You're the president of that team. You're not despondent. You're upset that that's how it goes. But you know very well that that number is off the books. We signed some one-year deals in my time. The one that I talk about and think about the most is Al Leiter in 2005. He was supposed to be signed to bring us over the top, trying to win our second World Series in three years. And we had Carlos Delgado as a free agent. We had most of our team from the 03 World Series, except for Pudge, who had gone to Detroit for four years and $40 million. We had traded Derek Lee for uh, uh, Hesop Choi. That was our new first baseman. And Al Leiter, we thought, would sort of be the anchor. He'd be a great fourth starter to come in and take the ball every five days. He was coming home to Florida, having won the World Series there in 97. And if you asked Al Leiter and gave him truth serum, and you made him tell you what happened that year, he would tell you that it was robbery. He would tell you that he put some sort of spell over us to get that $8 million that he got. I never got a thank you note from his children. I never got a thank you note from his family. Because after taxes in Florida, that was about $5.5 million in his bank account for nothing. Literally nothing. We basically released him. He then went and pitched for the Yankees, the Mets, one of those two teams. I block it out of my mind completely because it almost got us fired. The GM at that time, Larry Beinfest, and myself, we almost got fired for the outlighter signing. So I always regretted that. But in any case, this isn't an anti-Met rant at all. It's an explanation as to why long-term deals can be hurtful. But one-term deals, Al Leiter stunk. You know what happened in 06? He was gone. Now, of course, everyone else was gone. For those of you who remember 06 as a Marlins fan, that's the year we hired Joe Girardi. Do you like how I'm going full circle here on Nothing Personal? In 06, the Marlins hired Girardi. We start over. The 19 Philadelphia Phillies hired Girardi. They're not starting over. They got Harper. They traded for JT Realmuto, And now they've got Zach Wheeler for $23.6 million per year. <laughs> oh, that makes me smile. You know what else makes me smile? Speaking of segues that are musicless, Adderall. Why does Adderall make me smile? You know, Adderall... It's actually medicine that's used for kids or adults who have attention deficit disorder. What do you mean? What's going on over there? No? Oh, that's, that's what attention deficit disorder. Hold on. Distraction. Inability to focus. You can't possibly stay on task. You're not locked in. So you get tested and you get something called Adderall. Now, Adderall, for people who actually have attention deficit disorder, sort of gets them able to perform everyday tasks. Why is it that Adderall and Major League Baseball are related? Well, it goes back to the days of the greenies. The way baseball used to be back in the day when the dinosaurs roamed is in the clubhouse, we had two things that are of note, in addition to the training staff and players and jock straps and uniforms, we had bowls of amphetamines that were doled out like M&Ms, and we had ice cream machines. Do you want to know why they're ice cream machines in Major League clubhouses and why ice cream is such a baseball, hot dogs, Cracker Jacks, apple pie, and ice cream? Because every player who takes an amphetamine has to eat ice cream at the end of every game. 
It's the only way they can possibly calm down. If you ever have a heart rate going crazy and you're all hyped up, I'm not suggesting you do it. This is not a Nancy Reagan situation. I'm not telling you to say yes to drugs or no. Just be you. But if by chance that happens, you may want a cup of soft serve because that's what's going to help you. So in Major League Clubhouses, you had all these, and the players, because 162 games in 180 days is way harder than you think. But then they were outlawed. So then players turned to Cuban coffee and Red Bull. I watched it happen. I watched players pound Cuban shots of coffee as though it were little shots of tequila at a bachelor party and then go out and play baseball. I've seen players taken out of games because of their heart rate was going so fast they thought they were dying. So then they decided, let's switch to Red Bull. So we'd put Red Bull in the clubhouse and they would pound Red Bull as though they were driving across country in an 18-wheeler when there were no wheels about truck stops, no laws about truck stops. The problem with Red Bull is it does the same thing. It keeps you up, but you get your heart rate going a little crazy. So then players realized, wait a minute, I've got another idea. Then they went to their union, and they got something called a TU. E, a therapeutic exemption. The pause that you heard was live because for whatever reason, poof, out of my old brain, the U got lost. But a TUE is a therapeutic exemption, a therapeutic use exemption, and that didn't come in my ear because I'm not even sure Coca's listening to the show while he's producing it. But a therapeutic use exemption which I need for coca so we can pay attention. It's been 17 minutes and 45 seconds. The guy's in la-la land. In any case, players apply for something that's called the therapeutic use exemption. If you get it, you then get to take Adderall. Why would a baseball player want Adderall? Well, something happened yesterday that brought it all into focus, pun intended. An old player named Lars Anderson wrote an article in The Athletic, talking about his 48 major league at-bats with the Boston Red Sox between 2010 and 2012. Now, I didn't talk about that because that was barely a cup of coffee. He talked about his career as it continued overseas. He talked about when he decided to try Adderall. He talked about the pressures of trying performance-enhancing drugs and how if players get away with it, you actually get paid more money. But then he said... Adderall was not a performance-enhancing drug. It was a PMD, is my word for it. And that's what I commented to him. It's a performance-making drug. What Adderall does for baseball players is it gets them able to play regardless of how they feel. When you're playing back-to-back, -back, a day game after a night game. In the NBA, they deal with Adderall. It's called load management. It's called rest. Those concepts don't exist in baseball. We expect our players to be in the lineup every single day. Maybe we'll have a Sunday lineup, even though I never like the Sunday lineups. I want my best players in there getting four at-bats every day. But it's hard for the players. Now, I get that I get on the players for staying out all night. I get that they party a lot as well. But I'm telling you, when they're at work, baseball is an impossible game. 
Hitting a baseball and throwing a baseball, in my opinion, are the two single most difficult things in any sport. I'm sorry, Messi. I'm sorry, Gretzky. I really am. And I'm sorry, Tiger. But I believe that hitting a baseball and pitching a baseball are the two hardest. So Adderall has a way to make it easier. You are focused more on the ball. You're paying attention more on the mound. You're paying attention more in the field. You're not kicking sand around or picking up rocks. So MLB decided that they would allow these therapeutic use exemptions, except there's two catches. The first catch is there has to be a doctor who approves that you actually have ADHD. And secondly, you have to take the drug every day. Let's break it down. Why do they need a doctor to independently, not your own doctor, not the team's doctor? Because frankly, I would tell our team doctor, you're damn right I got 25 guys with ADHD. Bring in the Adderall. Put it in the candy jar. Yes, I would say that. So MLB said, no, we can't have that. Let's actually make sure it is an independent physician. Well, here's a little surprise for everyone. They're not so independent. Why is it that the actual rate of ADHD in the regular world is about 5%, but the rate of baseball players with ADHD is 10%? Does that mean twice as many people who play baseball happen to require Adderall or Vyvanse because they have ADHD? I don't know. What I do know is it always seemed bizarre to me, but I never cared because I was the president of a team and I wanted to win and I wanted as many of my players who wanted to take Adderall to take it. But then MLB made another rule and this one bothered me. If you have a TUE, you have to test positive when you take your drug test. Let me break that down. Adderall only stays in your system about 36 to 42 hours. You have no way of knowing when you're going to be called for a random drug test. But the rule is if you have a TUE, you must test positive for the drug that you are allowed to take. Which means if players are taking Adderall only to play, but then when they're injured, they stop taking it, they're not allowed to do that because they'll lose their exemption. I've said exemption and exception, TUE, therapeutic use exemption or exception, I think it's one or the other, and I'm dying for Coca to pay attention and tell me it's exception in my ear, but it's exemption. The problem with having to take Adderall every day is if you don't need to take it, you shouldn't be taking it. If you're not playing in a game, or you don't have ADHD and you've got an off day with your family, or it's off season, or whatever the case may be, I'd prefer players not to have to take it. So MLB dealt with that simply by saying, hey, during the offseason, it expires, and you have to renew that exemption every single season. There have been players who have tested positive for Adderall, amphetamines, because they forgot to renew their TUE. So here's a little secret for all of you players out there who are going to use that as an excuse. You're going to get hammered on nothing personal. Because there's no way that your team would let you forget that you had a TUE. Your team, like I would do, is we are communicating with the players to make sure they're meeting with the independent psychologist to make sure they're getting their prescription and getting their trusted therapeutic use exemption. 
Yet players say, I forgot to renew it. Who knew? Who knew? We all knew. But having to take it during the offseason, that's a problem. So you can stop during the offseason and then start taking again if you convince your doctor you still have it. Well, if you haven't gone to therapy, although therapy doesn't really cure ADHD, you need medication. It's an actual mental illness that's okay to talk about. My guess is if it were more commonly accepted to go to therapists when kids were younger, when I was younger, I would have had ADHD. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. I can't remember. What were we saying? No. Oh, hold on. All right, ADHD. So my only issue is, let's be honest with everyone and say, if players need something to play every day, and we don't want them taking amphetamines, we don't want them taking Adderall, we don't want them drinking Red Bull or Cuban coffee by the barrel, let's shorten the season. Let's make it so load management is an actually accepted thing in baseball. Let's make it so playing 162 games, it doesn't matter and shouldn't happen. Let's cut spring training as well, where there's a spring training game every day with two days off. Let's work in more days off during the season. Let's have five game, five games a week instead of six or seven. MLB and the union need to get their heads together and solve this problem because having players on Adderall every day is not something that is good for their health either in the short, mid, or long term. Hey, you know what's really exciting me right now? We get to watch Eli Manning. Oh, I let me think about this. Yes, okay. I got to talk about this. I have to. Eli Manning was named as the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles Monday night game. I want to remind Giants fans, of which I'm one, the Giants started off 0-2 under Eli Manning. Why was he re-signed? It's an absolute joke. There should be no case under which Eli is the quarterback. Why was he even re-signed? The future's now with Daniel Jones. They brought in Daniel Jones. He wins the first two games. My friend Will Manso here in Miami, a sportscaster and someone who works with the Heat as well, is wearing his giant stuff proudly. He buys a Daniel Jones jersey and wears it thinking that Tua, who needs Tua? We've got someone who's better. And then he loses eight in a row. Now, the offensive line is pitiful for the New York Giants. You've got two owners and Steve Tisch and John Mara who went public yesterday who are meeting to think about the future of their coach, Pat Shermer, who, by the way, Shermer has a worse record than Ben McAdoo, who already got fired. So are they going to fire their coach? Are they going back to Eli Manning because of performance? No. Daniel Jones simply got hurt. Yet Giants fans are elated. I've heard so many people and I've read so much about Giants fans clapping and applauding. Thank God we have Eli back. For what? Do you think miraculously he got better since week two? No, it's just a point of reference. Fans always like what they don't have. You had Eli, you wanted Daniel. You had Daniel, you want Eli. If you don't want either, you get rid of the coach. Will we bring Ron? How about Rivera? He just got fired by the Panthers. He could be the coach. He's got a relationship with Gettleman if he's still the GM. 
What I can't believe is that we think that the Giants will be better with Eli Manning or that Shermer will become a better coach now that Eli Manning is back. None of that's going to happen. So here's how this ends, Giants fans. Eli Manning comes back, and maybe the Giants win a game against the Eagles on a Monday night. Now, given how they looked against the Packers this weekend in the snow, I can't imagine it. But let's just say they beat the Eagles in the pathetic NFC least. Does that mean that Eli Manning's your guy? Do we start him even when Daniel Jones is now healthy? Have we decided that Daniel Jones can no longer play because he lost eight in a row behind an offensive line that probably wouldn't start for my high school team? Well, this is going to be a critical offseason for the Giants because their level of mediocrity has to, has to stop. So one of the things that we like doing is we talk about, uh, uh, so you want to talk to Samson. And what I like about that is people tend to DM me different subjects. And one of the things that people have talked to me about is the Mets. And so I get a ton of Mets fans who come to me and they want to know about the Wilpons. They want to know about, they have a big interest in hearing about the deals the Mets are making. Should they re-sign Wheeler? What do you think about trading Syndergaard? What do you think about the Wilpons ever selling the team? That's sort of been a big topic of conversation that people want me to cover. And so I gave you a little bit of Mets before because I wanted you to just sort of hear about what they're doing sort of on the downside, right? That's the, on the downside. They're trying to shed their bad payroll. But now let's give you another question that was asked to me. And the way you talk to me is at David P. Sampson, so you want to talk to Sampson. Just DM at David P. Sampson, direct message me. I answer as many as I can. Even if it's a one-word answer, just know I've read it. I'm one of those people, I don't have 50,000 open emails. If I don't respond even with a word, it doesn't necessarily mean I didn't read it, but I try to respond with even a word, like a thumb up or an okay. So here's what happens. I got a DM and I'm going to talk about it. It was, will the Wilpons ever sell this team? Well, what I want everyone to do, can you imagine I'm doing this, folks? Press pause. Stop the video. Stop the podcast. I want you to go outside and I want you to look and I want you to see if a cow is jumping over the moon. Ready? Go. You back? Did anyone see cows jumping over the moon? No. The Wilpons will not sell the team and I'm going to tell you why. Because they love owning the Mets. Yet every day there's new sources, new Airplanes flying with flags saying, will the Wilpons ever sell the team? Sell, Wilpons, sell. Just today, news is breaking that Steve Cohn is negotiating. Steve Cohn we're going to talk about. He's the one who got sanctioned by the SEC. All of the laws he broke. Remember Steve Cohn, that really rich guy who buys art, the multi-billionaire? Well, he's negotiating to increase his investment in the Mets. Now, wait a minute. What does that mean to increase an investment? Well, when you increase an investment, that means that you are go from a limited partner to being a larger limited partner. Why would we ever do a deal like that if we were a limited partner or a rich guy like Steve Cohn? Here's the answer. It's you have to have a path to control. What a path to control means is that I will agree to pay you a valuation of $4 billion for your team. And I will own 
up to 50% of the team, but you get to control it. Except each year that passes, my ownership increases. And then after X number of years, let's just say five. After five number of, after five years, I get to take over the team. I get an option. That's my path to control that I can buy you out, Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon and Saul Katz, and I can be the owner of the New York Mets. So how does this work in real life? Fred Wilpon goes to Rob Manford, the commissioner, and says, listen, I got to do some estate planning. I'm going to have some significant estate taxes. I own a lot of real estate. There's no question I lost a lot of money with Bernie Madoff. That Ponzi scheme guy, may he rot in jail forever for losing the money of charities. Bobby Bonilla thanks Bernie Madoff. Bobby Bonilla keeps getting paid because of Bernie Madoff. That's a story for another day. But Fred Wilpon goes to Commissioner Rob Manford and says, listen, I got to plan my estate because right now I do not have the cash to pay my estate taxes. It will require a liquidation of my assets, and that will take a lot of time because I own real estate. The best way to help my estate is to actually sell the Mets. The Mets are probably the most liquid thing I own. So the commissioner says, Fred, I hate to lose your vote, but I understand you're in your 80s. Are you sure Jeff doesn't want to run the team? Jeff Wilpon has been the COO for as long as I've been in the game. So for 20 years. He has a little piece of the team. Is it possible that Fred could pass the team on to his son? Well, the answer is no, because that doesn't take away the estate issues for Fred when Fred passes away. Now, Fred is a great guy, a true mensch. I hope he lives to be 120. That doesn't mean that A, he will, and it doesn't mean that the Mets have been successful with him as owner. What it does mean is that he's getting his life in order and his estate plan in order. So if Steve Cohn is going to have a path to control, what does that mean for now versus the future? Get ready, Mets fans. You're going to have a billionaire owner. He's going to increase payroll. You're going to be above the luxury tax threshold. You're going to be in the 200s. You're going to sign every free agent. You're going to win multiple rings. Get excited. (laughs) No, that's not what it means. Steve Cohn has the right and ability to buy this team because he's liquid and rich. But he is spending so much on his team that how much money he'll have left for payroll, that remains to be seen. But giving five years of planning, what if, if I'm a Mets fan, what I'm hoping, and if I'm Major League Baseball, what I am demanding is that in a market like New York, Steve Cohn presents to me a plan of how he will run this team. And not a plan that's absolutely bogus, like some other plans I've been a part of, maybe that were submitted on behalf of the new owners of the Marlins, maybe. But this is a plan that Steve Cohn has to stick to in terms of how he's going to operate. Not just keeping Fred around as the control person for five years or keeping Jeff Wilpon around as the COO for five years. That's just a pillow landing. That's just, that really is irrelevant. It gives him five years to say their goodbyes. That's all. And it sets at Major League Baseball up with a new owner and an easy change of control. And it's going to be at a huge valuation, which will make all the other owners happy. But for Mets fans, is it guarantee five years from now that you're going to be having a parade instead of the Yankees or that you're going to be in on the free agents? Well, frankly, you guys do spend money. I never understood why Mets fans were so angry about money. 
What you should have been angry about is incompetence. What Steve Cohn needs to promise to Rob Manford is he'll fire Brody Van Wagenen. And he will bring in a real baseball guy. Not that Brody will be there in five years to begin with. But the question is, who will his manager be? Who will his baseball people be? Who will run his team? Because Steve Cohn is not going to run it on a day-to-day basis. Hold on. Yes. Um, Coca, could you fix up my resume? Yes. And forward that to Steve Cohn. That's steve.cohn at Mets.com. No, I don't want to run the Mets. I love being here with you guys at Nothing Personal. But as part of his plan to take over, he's going to need a president. So this is a big day for Mets fans. You're going to all celebrate that the Wilpons are finally selling. Well, just ask people in Florida, folks. Folks, be careful what you wish for. You may lose a Samson and gain a Jeter, but have you actually gained anything at all? I have a loyal listener named Stu. Hello, Stu. I know you're listening. Who told me to watch the Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. It was always on my list, but I actually moved it to the top of the list for the sole reason that if it were suggested by a loyal listener, I'm going to watch it. And I've gotten a few other suggestions at David P. Sampson about things to watch or on Instagram, the same David P. Sampson. And uh, this one, Stu, you nailed it. This is a six to eight episodes per season, two seasons. Here's the story. It's about two guys who are old, trying to be young. So that sounds ordinary, doesn't it? The difference is you have two of the best actors that you could ever imagine. If you've never heard of Adam Arkin, that's the son of Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin is the one in this show. Alan Arkin is the one who was in the in-laws back in the 70s, the original in-laws. Alan Arkin is the one who was in a great summer camp movie called Indian Summer. Alan Arkin has had a long, phenomenal career. This may be his best. Wait, you're going to tell me right now. Little Miss Sunshine winning the Academy Award. Yes, that's true. He was phenomenal in that as well. He's never been bad in anything. And Michael Douglas, you've watched him from the beginning. So what is it about the writing of this show that makes it must-see for 16 episodes? It's they get the little things that happen in life, and they make it real. It makes me, when I watch a show, it's not like watching a fantasy show or a sci-fi show or an animated show where you're laughing hysterically, but you're laughing because it's funny to its core. This makes you laugh because you realize this is how I am or this is how I'm going to be. And I don't care if you're a boomer, a Gen Xer, a millennial, an infant, prepubescent, postpubescent. You are looking at what a life is. So Arkin, Douglas, 16 episodes, 28 minutes each. All I'm asking you for is eight hours of your life, and you will not regret it. Why does Jeter keep doing everything to make him make everything so different from the way it was when I was there? Was I that bad? I don't know. But he's in the he's in the uh, news today. And the reason he's in the news is that uh, two things he did to the ballpark that I helped build that just opened in 2012. One, got rid of the grass. Who needs grass when you can put synthetic turf in? 
I'm not making fun of that. It's a huge expense. My guess is, because we looked at synthetic turf, he had to spend between 2 and $4 million to put in synthetic turf. Now, you're saying to yourself, why not increase the payroll by 2 to $4 million? It doesn't quite work that way. You've got to put money into your ballpark that doesn't count as payroll. But for owners, it counts as money out of pocket. So he spent about 2 to $4 million, I would guess, and he got rid of the grass because they had a very hard time growing grass. We tried everything with the Marlins. We had grass taken in by 18-wheelers we, from, from Alabama, from Mississippi, from California, from the north, south, east, west, everywhere. And it just rains a lot, and it's not sunny in certain spots, and it's just very difficult. The Arizona Diamondbacks have a, a roof like we do, like we. When am I going to stop saying we, do you think? It's so definitively a they that if I don't start saying they soon, I'm going to want like one of those electric cattle prod things attached to me like in Saving Silverman the movie. You know what I'm talking about. I want them sort of right here. I'm pointing to my chest. And I want you to buzz me when I say we. The Marlins are not a we. They are an affirmative they. The Diamondbacks had to replace their grass with this turf. The Texas Rangers, another facility in the heat, they're using the synthetic turf. I don't criticize Jeter for this. It's a lot of money, but it makes sense. What I do criticize is what he's doing when and while he's putting in the turf. Let me read you what he said. As we enhanced the plain surface at Marlins Park, we felt it was also appropriate to take the opportunity to evaluate our outfield dimensions, said Jeter. We made the decision to adjust the distance of the outfield fence, which will now be more in line with the field dimensions you see across many of today's ballparks. Give me a break. You took the opportunity now? Now's when you're evaluating your outfield dimensions? Derek, when you actually run a team, you have to evaluate stuff every day. You have to work seven days a week. You're only evaluating it now? Liar. You've always been evaluating it. And what you're evaluating is the fact that your team can't score runs and that your team can't hit home runs. I get it. I moved in the fences too. It didn't matter. We gave up as many as we hit. So what you're going to discover is that you're going to give up just as many as you hit. Because the only way to actually make your team better is not moving in the outfield fences. Get better players. Had it. Tell you what I haven't had it with is my pick of the day. Oh, my God. I ho- Did you do the parlay, the two-team teasing parlay, where you knew the Lakers were going to win? You knew that we had the Mavericks over the Pelicans with the owners of the Pelicans praying to God that Zion is going to come back at any time soon. I didn't know about Anthony. Um, I did not know about Anthony Davis getting an IV because that would have even clinched it more that the Lakers were going to win. But we went two and zero yesterday. I only like one game today, and here's why: we got the Celtics five and a half over the Miami Heat. Miami Heat won a huge game on the road in Toronto in overtime. You're not going to go back-to-back road victories when you've got to go Toronto-Boston. When you leave Canada, it's super annoying. You have to go through customs. It's a short flight Toronto to Boston. But still, you're getting in late. You went through customs. You had to play overtime. And for me, 
This is the perfect opportunity when the Heat are in, I, I still tell you, with their record at home so phenomenal, top of the Eastern Conference, everyone loving them, Boston's a better team. If this were a normal sort of moment, to me, Boston should be favored by seven and a half to eight, just on a regular day. But coming from Toronto, Canada, and an overtime victory, I actually would have them maybe by nine or ten. To me, this is a simple game. Celtics, five and a half over the heat. Let's stay on fire. So remember, I promised you all when we do a wait to see that I tell you when they hit and when they don't. We had a wait to see that hit from early on in Nothing Personal when I told you all that Cole Hamels would sign a one-year contract. Well, he did sign a one-year contract. Guess what that means? We win. That's a yes. We waited and we saw. Well, yesterday, Deion Sanders did something that I never thought I'd dream I'd ever see. Deion Sanders, for whatever reason, not that it matters, came out and said he sees something interesting happening with the New England Patriots and their receiving corps. He sees them picking up a receiver or changes to the receivers. He was sort of cryptic about it. I'm going to take the cryptic away and I'm going to make it my way to see. And I'm not just going to say that the Patriots are going to add a receiver to try to placate Tom Brady, who's boiling over with frustration to the point of yelling at his players on the sideline, losing his mind, and then dismissing it as simply being competitive. I'm going to tell you that for the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl and win, which will make me lose a weight to see from earlier, they need to improve and increase their receivers. So they are going to make changes. And I think you're going to get... Antonio Brown back in a Patriots uniform. That would be a story given that he was signed, then released, and then grieved, and then back. Wait to see, guys. Antonio Brown is back. And it's okay, Derek. I know you've got people watching this. And I know that the Wilpons are wondering, should we sell, should we not? Steve Cohn's all excited. But at the end of the day, they all get together. They look in each other's eyes, and they whisper, this was just business. It was nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.